0: I say can you dig it? Put your two hands up like that. Can you dig it? Can, 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 can. Here we go. What is up, you guys? Welcome back to another episode of Can You Dig It, a podcast by the Silver Screen and Roll Network. I'm your host, this is always Jacob Rude. No guest with me today, but that is perfectly fine. We have a very fun episode in store today. First, though, make sure you guys are subscribed everywhere you are listening to us at. Uh, if you're listening right now, you're a true one because it is the dead of the off-season. Uh, because of that, we have a, a much different type of podcast episode today. Uh, back during the pandemic, which feels about six years ago at this point. Uh, I'm pretty sure the pandemic itself lasted about two years. Uh, Christian and I did a couple of podcasts where we basically, not even basically, we completely ripped off the idea of the rewatchables that The Ringer does. If you guys haven't heard that before, it's a pretty self-explanatory concept. They watch old movies, kind of cult classics. They have a list of categories they go through, kind of awards, uh and give them out for the movie. Christian and I took that, moved some things around, and applied it to old Laker games. Uh, we did one of the Showtime Lakers. We did one of the 3 Pete Lakers. It's a concept I've wanted to do, but the off seasons just haven't been long enough uh, since the pandemic for us to really dive into anything like that. So uh, this is the first chance I've had for it. Uh, so hope you guys are uh I hope you guys enjoy it if you guys remember it back during the pandemic. Today we are going to rewatch uh the 2010 NBA Western Conference Finals Game 5 Suns versus Lakers. I say we're going to rewatch. I already rewatched it. This game is on YouTube. Uh NBA uploaded it itself, so perfectly fine quality. Uh, you guys may not remember this game specifically for what I just said. If I told you it was the Ron Artest game-winning layup, though, you guys would probably remember the game a lot better. Uh, one of the iconic plays of that kind of uh, back-to-back title team and of those 2010 playoffs. Uh going to start off just kind of recapping the game. For those of you that can't dedicate uh, 90 minutes to... Uh, watch this game. I don't blame you. For those that uh, don't remember it, uh, Here's a, I have a refresher for you guys. Just some some notes I took while rewatching watching this game. Coming into it, it was a 2-2 series. Uh, the Suns had um, taken both games in Phoenix. Uh, I really, I was worried. Uh, this Suns team, I did not enjoy playing against. This was kind of a prime matchup of a much more modern offense that the Suns had with their shooting, their spacing versus just kind of this power bully ball uh, offense that the Lakers had. So it was a pivotal game of five. Uh, Kobe had been brilliant in these uh, finals, as we, or excuse me, as the, in these playoffs, as we all remember. He came into this one scoring 30 points in eight of his last nine games. Uh, spoiler alert, he would score 30 points in this one exactly as well. Uh but this one starts off actually with Kobe getting into quick foul trouble. Uh it was Shannon Brown who comes in and it got me thinking about kind of the uh the pantheon of favorite Lakers role players ever uh because I Shannon Brown might be on that list. People myself included absolutely loved Shannon Brown. He was so much fun to uh watch we're going to ignore the dunk contest when we talk about and reminisce about Shannon Brown. Uh, we're going to pretend that the La- Let Shannon Dunk campaign just ended in nothing because that dunk contest performance was horrible. <laughs> but Shannon Brown, I think, was universally loved. Uh, he came in, didn't play a ton in this game. I think those were really his only minutes. He only played six minutes, 42 seconds. It was Sasha Vujacic who... Was returning from injury. We'll talk about him in a little bit. Uh, that got a bulk of the shooting guard minutes. Also, Kobe didn't come out in the second half, so it's like there weren't a lot of minutes for Shannon Brown to play. But I mean, Pantheon, a favorite Laker role players, Shannon Brown is really high up there. Derek Fisher, I, if you, I would assume you consider him a role player, he's really high up there. Um, there's a couple guys you could pick from the Showtime Lakers, uh, Michael Cooper. Uh, maybe Byron Scott, that one's just kind of a, a personal choice. But I, I would think Shannon is up there. He was uh, one of the most fun players of a really fun era of Lakers basketball. May not be in like the, the top tier, but he's up there among, um, among those favorite Laker role players. Back to this game, though, without Kobe, the Lakers' offense was really rudderless until Derek Fisher scored nine straight points to pull The Lakers within one late in the quarter. Uh, Second quarter, if you guys remember this series, uh, Phoenix was using a lot of zone defense. They could not really handle the Lakers inside um, man-to-man. They were just kind of getting bullied by Bynum, Powell, and Lamar. Uh, So there was a lot of zone defense that they attempted to play. Second quarter, the Lakers really just punished that zone defense. They ended up having 28 assists on 38 made at field goals in this one, um, which really, I think, highlights how uh, how they were moving the ball and how they were attacking this zone. The, uh, the Suns only had 19 assists on 36 shots, which is more a testament of uh, the Lakers' defense, but... The Lakers went from kind of rudderless in that first quarter to a 13-point lead because Kobe Bryant absolutely caught fire. He didn't play for the vast majority of the first quarter. Comes in in the second quarter and makes up for it uh, with three straight three-pointers. Uh, it was a 13-0 run. It gave the Lakers a 13-point lead. It was part of a bigger 28-6 run. Uh, that turned the tide in the Lakers' favor. Kobe had 13 points in that second quarter alone uh, after only scoring once in the first quarter. So came back in and gave the Lakers a huge burst uh, in that second period. And the Lakers held on to a uh, pretty comfortable double-digit lead for most of that second quarter. Into the second half, there was... A lot of attention, oddly, paid to Alvin Gentry uh, being sick. Uh, apparently, before the game, he had a fried avocado, I guess is what he said, that made him sick. Uh, and he was throwing up during the game. Uh, he was getting IVs at halftime. The doctors were coming out. It was a wild... Uh, I don't know why there was so much attention paid to it, but he didn't end up missing any time. Uh, he's, he was on the sideline the whole time. So we had an Alvin Gentry flu game, basically. A heroic performance from him. Um, the the third quarter things started to, to turn a bit. Part of that was because Ron Artest was completely awful offensively. Uh, he could not make a three-pointer. He did not want to take three-pointers. This was... This series, this game kind of specifically was um kind of a low point for Ron Artest during these playoffs. Uh we'll we'll discuss another moment uh, as well here at the end of the game, but uh, Ron Artest just could not score um and looked just completely uncomfortable even trying to do so. He was 0 of 3 in the first half, uh and then in the third quarter went 1 of 3, so 1 of 6 through the first three quarters. Now, for as much as Ron Artest stunk offensively, he was always competing defensively. Uh, and he never really, uh, effort was never a problem with him. And he he got, uh, he created a basket on a fast break. Uh, he got a steal playing four on five at one point. Uh, Derek Fisher went crashing into the crowd offensively on a play. The Lakers lost the ball out of bounds and the refs just didn't wait for him to get up. And just gave the Suns the ball. So the Lakers were playing four on five. And yet, uh, Ron Artest stole the ball and goes down for a layup. That was his only field goal in that third quarter. But he was competing hard. The reason the Suns came back, though, Jared Dudley and Channing Frye absolutely caught fire. Uh, and were the main catalyst of a 13-2 to run for the Suns. They scored 14 of Phoenix's 27 points, those two, uh, in the third quarter. Uh, They hit three threes on five attempts. They had five total field goals. Uh, Very unlikely sources. Two two young future Lakers uh, coming up big for Phoenix in that one and helped them uh, claw their way back into the game down to a single-digit game. Um, There was a point in the fourth quarter where it really felt like the Lakers were up 20 points almost. The Lakers really controlled this game just from a kind of tempo and um, just kind of play style. Uh, It it really felt like the Lakers were getting what they wanted, but that three-pointer was the difference maker, and the Lakers didn't hit threes with this team, uh, and Phoenix was knocking them down in the second half, and their bench really stepped up um, after – Having just uh, going just two of 11 from three in the first half, Phoenix went seven of 16. Uh, They got 29 points from the bench in the second half after having two in the first half. So, a lot of unexpected contributions. Um, Phoenix really had all the momentum in that fourth quarter. And ironically, as I made that note, uh, as I was typing out, Phoenix had all the momentum. Derek Fisher knocked down a clutch shot again, which I think is just apropos to his entire career with the Lakers, if we're being honest. Every time it felt like the Lakers needed a clutch shot when it wasn't Kobe, it felt like it was Derek Fisher a lot of times. Uh, He was huge in this one, uh, hit a number of big shots. We're going to talk about him later on in the podcast. I mean, if we're talking huge clutch shots, Steve Nash hit – all of them down the stretch for uh, for Phoenix. He was hitting just incredible shots. The Lakers were uh, attempting to switch the pick and roll. Um, stop me if you've heard this before. The Lakers were really struggling trying to defend the pick and roll. And Steve Nash was abusing everyone. Pau Gasol was playing good defense on a lot of these shots. And Steve Nash was hitting ridiculous uh, shots. <laughs> On the point about our test from earlier, there's an incredible Ron Artest possession with a minute left. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember this. Um, the He gets a foul line jumper uh, that he misses. The Lakers are up three. Uh, he misses it. Pau Gasol gets the offensive rebound, kicks it out to a wide open Ron Artest with like 58 seconds left. This was back when the shot clock reset to 24. Everyone in their right mind is thinking, run the clock down, give it to Kobe. Uh, at the very worst, you're down to 30, 35 seconds left on the game clock. Ron Artest was thinking, go for the jugular, took a open three-pointer and missed it, uh, moving him to one for eight from the field after that shot. Uh, I tweeted out this clip, if you guys want to watch it, just that clip. The, the noise that Staples Center makes when Ron Artest shoots the shot is just incredible. It's a noise that uh, not even um, not even Russell Westbrook could force Staples, Center's, Staples Center into, or Crypto.com Arena, I guess now, into last season. Just a collective yelling of no uh Incredible stuff. He misses it. Uh, in my mind, remembering this game, I thought, oh, yeah, he misses it. The, then Phoenix goes down and ties it. Uh, Phoenix did not tie it. The Lakers had a chance to kind of ice this game. Pau Gasol went for the dunk of his life over Channing Frye and Amari Stoudemire. Misses it. It starts a kind of fast break for the Suns. They get cross-matched. Uh, Derek Fisher ends up on chaining Fry. Pau Gasol ends up on Jason Richardson. Because of that, Powell's not under the basket uh, to get any rebounds. And it leads to Jason Richardson on a third attempt, banking in a three-pointer with a little under four seconds left. I remember at the time just being absolutely livid. Livid the Lakers couldn't get a rebound. Livid that Jason Richardson was... Uh, celebrating a banked-in three-pointer after he missed the shot before that, uh, I was a very angry, irrational person at the time, just mad at everything. It uh, on the broadcast, the name of Tim Thomas was evoked. Uh, just that that <laughs> that brings up bad memories, <laughs> I think, for a lot of Lakers fans, as you can tell by my reaction. Uh, but then Ron Artest goes from zero to hero to end the game. Kobe takes the the double-clutch three-pointer that's online, to be fair, but pr- w- well short. Uh, Jason Richardson uh, still daydreaming about that made three-pointer. Gets caught ball-watching, run our test, crashes in for the offensive rebound, uh, gets the layup up before the buzzer and in, immediately jumps into Kobe's arms. One of the uh, best moments of that uh, back-to-back Lakers titles team um one of my favorite moments honestly just that that picture of Artest in Kobe's arms uh just so much unbridled joy and enthusiasm i think everybody was excited that that Artest got that moment there's a lot of just genuine happiness in that um the lakers it really felt like they got away with one uh because they collapsed a bit in that second half let it get away let phoenix back into the game and uh, a bit lucky that they, that game didn't go to overtime because it certainly felt like Phoenix had a lot of the momentum. Uh, just to the the point I made earlier, Ron Artest wasn't good, but he uh, he never stopped competing, and that's all that was. The the shot goes up, he goes to the glass hard while Jason Richardson is staring at the shot flying through the air, and he's the one that's able to get to the rebound uh, and finish it. So uh, I. <laughs> I mean, I'm including myself in this. A lot of people were frustrated by Ron Artest at times, but what you could never really uh, disparage him for was a lack of effort. He was always trying hard. Uh, Whether he was trying efficiently was another thing, but he was always trying hard. Uh, So that's our recap for those that don't remember. Hopefully that sparked some memories. We're going to dive into the categories we have listed here in just one second. So, we'll start off uh, most rewatchable, not seen, I guess, play or moment, sequence, whatever the equivalent would be. Couple couple uh, nominees here. Uh, Kobe catching fire in the second quarter. Another clip that I tweeted out. Um, it made me miss Kobe a lot, man, and watching him play. Uh, he hits uh, a couple back-to-back threes on the left wing. Uh, and then gets the ball on a fast break and pulls up from the right wing to knock down a three-pointer and force a timeout. Kobe was lights out in this series. He was absolutely incredible uh, throughout the entire series um, and really gave the Suns all sorts of headaches. 33.7 points uh, per game in the series on 52% shooting, 43.2% from three-point land. Eight assists, seven rebounds a game. (laughs) Incredible, man. Just absolutely incredible. Uh, And this game showed it in that little stretch. He would show it in game six as well. Uh, I'm sure everyone remembers that game and the shots he hit in that one. But for this one, that was his memorable moment. If you're a Suns fan, I don't know why you're listening to this, but uh, I mean, a rewatchable scene was Jason Richardson uh, knocking down that three-pointer and celebrating. Look, as a neutral, it was a a cool moment. I can understand why he celebrated. It's a big shot in a big playoff game to save your team from uh a loss. I understand all that the irrational side of me that is uh still a, a little bit of a Lakers fan hated everything about it, and it's still I could feel those uh fandom uh feelings coming up rewatching this one, thinking why is he celebrating so much? It was, a, it, was a, it was a memorable shot. It'd be a lot more memorable if, and I think the clear winner is, uh, Ron Artest's game winner is the most rewatchable scene. Uh, I've watched it a lot, um, and I think a lot of Lakers fans have as well. Best quote, I tried to take something the announcer said at some point. You could give it in general to their coverage of, uh, as I mentioned earlier, Alvin Gentry's flu game. Uh, but I, I mean, that was all a little silly and over the top. Uh, Sasha Vujicic had not played any, he had played a a minute and 16 seconds, uh, before this, um, before this game because of injury. It was funny because Phil Jackson, uh, via Craig Sager quote, Sasha Vujicic is ready to play a pivotal role in this series because the only thing I remember Sasha Vujicic doing in this series is fighting Goran Dragic. Uh, fighting isn't even... He, he wasn't fighting. Inducing a flop from Goran Dragic, uh, which he did in the next game, in Game 6. The two of them got at it a bit in this one as well. Earned double technicals, but it was Game 6 with Dragic's infamous flop that I think a lot of people remember uh, Sasha Vujicic's... Com- uh, uh, what he did for the Lakers in this series. The winner, though, Ron Artest, is is coming away with all the wins in this one. Uh, Getting Craig Sager to to say Queensbridge uh, was his exact quote to Craig Sager. Say Queensbridge, uh, which Craig Sager um, did. So Ron Artest was all over the place in this one. He's going to take this one as well. Craig Sager, to his credit, really wanted to know what everyone was thinking when uh, Ron Artest shot that three-pointer with a minute left. He asked Kobe about three different versions of the question. Kobe dodged the answer. He asked uh, Ron Artest about it. I mean, Artest had logic to it. Was it good logic? Not really. He said that uh, basically he was going for the jugular there, and he he used to be at one point a 40% three-point shooter, and you just got to keep playing basketball, which, like, I mean, fair, at least there was thinking to it. Was it good? No. It was still a really bad shot. Uh, Craig Sager did not uh, like that answer and still pushed him on it. But, I mean, I guess kudos to Craig Sager. But Ron Artest takes this one. What aged the best? I have a number of things here. Uh, For the Suns, Steve Nash's game, he was incredible. He would be incredible in any generation, uh, any era of NBA basketball. Modern era, the era he played in, the era before him, uh, kind of the the 2000s, even in the 90s. Like, no matter where you put him, his game would have been perfectly suited. It's a, it's not a long list, the amount of guys you can say that applies to. Like, no matter where you stuck him, he was going to be able to play that version of basketball. Uh, Amari Sotomayor uh, aged the best, <laughs> or aged... Really well, I should say. Uh, he is someone that maybe isn't talked about as much as uh, a player who would fit really, really, really well in the modern NBA uh, as a as a, a center. Like he's everything you want a center to be, save for maybe the three point shooting. Everything else, he is everything you want a center to be in the modern NBA. Uh, if he if he came along. Ten years later, uh, he would be a multiple-time, like, first-team All-NBA guy. I mean, he still has all kinds of accolades, but uh, he would have even more of them, I think, if he played kind of in the modern NBA uh, because he was such a gifted big man that um, I I think he would have fit well. He was on the All-NBA first team once, the second team four times. I mean, to be fair, that's a really good career. I think he would have probably tacked on a few more playing in the current era. Uh, Just the Suns' modern offense. like With the Lakers, which we'll talk about, it looked like an offense from the last era of NBA basketball. With the Suns, it looked like a modern offense. Uh, There were small things that they didn't do that modern offenses do. Uh, Even then, they didn't shoot threes quite at the rate that modern offenses do, though they were close. There was a ton of pick and roll. They spread the floor. Channing Fry, Jared Dudley, they played as kind of power forward, stretch fours, even centers at times a little bit. Not a lot. Amari or Lou Almondson, uh, a blast from the passer. They were almost always in the game. But uh, those guys spreading the floor as big men created problems for the Lakers. Uh, especially when Lamar wasn't on the floor, uh, forcing power by them to, to go out there and defend them create a problem. So just kind of the more modern offense of the Suns, I think aged pretty well for the Lakers. Very specific Lamar Odom. I can wax poetically forever about Lamar Odom. I love him to death. I don't know how I left him off the pantheon of great Lakers role players. He is absolutely uh, top tier S tier, um, Mount Rushmore of Lakers role players uh, right there at the very, very top, in my opinion. Uh, his game was incredible. If you want to talk about guys who uh, were in the wrong era, if Lamar Odom is in this era of NBA basketball, my oh my. Uh, he is absolutely getting a lot more accolades than what was basically a six man of the year award, uh, which really does not show just how important he was to the Lakers uh, or how good he was. Uh, one other thing, Derek Fisher's shooting stroke was remains, I should say, uh, just aesthetically pleasing like it it was it was a, a beautiful shot. um the high arcing shot that uh, creates a really loud kind of splash going through the net uh, was really enjoyable if i if I have to pick one though, I would say probably Steve Nash's game aged the best in this one because. Uh, he was absolutely incredible and looked every bit the Hall of Famer he's going to be. What age the worst? Um, there were a couple things. I think the runaway winner in this one is the triangle offense uh, and really the Lakers offense. Um, that was, it, it worked then, but that is as anti-modern an offense as you can get. The Lakers... Uh, did not space the floor well. I can't tell you how many long twos Derek Fisher, uh, Kobe Bryant, Pau Gasol all took at various points in the game. Uh, when if you just have everybody take one step backwards basically on the perimeter, you have a much more open offense. It's hard to really complain about an offense that... Um, won as many titles as it did it just doesn't work in this era of NBA basketball it was aesthetically pleasing a lot I mean I'm not going to argue that when it was really humming along it was a joy to watch it's just not something that I think would be all that effective in modern basketball so uh, I I started to try to think of other answers I just think that one took the cake the Lakers uh, were a great defensive team uh, offensively it came and went uh they relied a lot on kobe in this season playoffs, series uh everything um but that offense just looking back uh in modern times kind of there's no way you could play a triangle offense in 2022 deon waiter's heat check performance uh derrick fisher was a name i put on this list very early because Had one of the best games of his postseason career. 22 points, 7 of 12 shooting, 6 of 6 at the line. Uh, The fourth most points he scored in a postseason game in his career. Was huge in that first quarter. Hit a number of shots in the fourth quarter as well. Uh, I mentioned that first quarter he went on a run. He had 11 points uh, in that quarter. Had 5 points in the fourth quarter. Uh, So there's 16 of his 22 points second leading scorer on the Lakers. So uh, absolutely heat check performance from him. I mentioned the other two, Channing Frye with 14 points and 10 rebounds uh, in this one. Uh, He was, uh, he kind of came out of nowhere a little bit uh, to have an impact at this one. He only scored 44 points in the series. Uh, 14 of those came in this game. Uh, Jared Dudley, the third quarter alone, Uh, earned his paycheck in this one he had a three-point play and a four-point play in that third quarter Uh, he only had 10 points in the game Uh, not quite as big of a heat check Channing Frye had 14 points and 10 rebounds Um, I mean it might deserve to go to Channing Frye but it's a Lakers podcast it's going to Derek Fisher uh, for a huge performance from him especially in that first quarter without Kobe. He was the reason the Lakers stayed close. The doing too much award, there is only one option, I think, though I listed a couple nominees. Ron Artest, doing too much. Sealed the award with that possession with a minute to go in the game. Uh, Virtuoso performance to seal that one. Uh, The epitome of doing too much. Taking that three-pointer instead of just taking the ball out and giving it to Fisher, or Kobe, letting that clock run down, uh just doing too much. The other two, Sasha Vujačić, uh absolutely doing too much. Uh and he's kind of tied to Goran Dragić. Goran Dragić more so. Um because at least Vujačić was like able to contribute at times in this one. Uh he had 5 points. Uh I remember Dragić only hitting one shot. He was 1 of 5 uh, and see more focus on trying to fight Sasha Vujicic than play basketball. Uh, he had four fouls in this one, so he was getting his money's worth. Um, Goran Dragic was doing a lot in a lot of other games. This is a uh, a title-winning performance for the doing Too Much Award, but you were going up against one of the greats in our tests in this one. Hard to overcome that. Apex Mountain, there's... You got to kind of squint on some of these. Alvin Gentry, this playoff series, I think is unquestionably his apex mountain. Uh, He did not get anywhere near this ever again. To his credit, he had a very modern offense, and a lot of the ideas that would go on uh, to become commonplace in uh, NBA basketball in the 2020s, basically... Uh, and that's why it looked so foreign and worked so well in the 2010s, uh, stretching the floor out, uh, shooting shots. It was 12 seconds or less was the number they kept showing in the graphic they kept showing when they got a shot off in the first 12 seconds of the shot clock. They were really efficient when they got stuck being a half court team, not so much. Uh, Again, I think that's credit to the Lakers defense, which was probably a little underrated on this, uh. And this team had an, uh, an underrated defense, a very, very, very good defense. So Alvin Gentry in this series was as high as his stock ever was. That single play by Ron Test probably up to that moment uh, was his maybe his apex in terms of positive influence. If you, I, I mean, obviously the malice at the palace is always going to be tied to him, but. In terms of his, like, on-court performance, a single play, maybe you need to boil it down to the Lakers themselves. It was this. All of that. I mean, Game 7 is his Apex Mountain point-blank period for his NBA career. Game 7 against the Celtics. So, uh, I mean, I, I I wanted to throw a bone to run our test because we picked on him a little bit. That shot was memorable, a lot of fun, um, and kudos to them. The Steve Nash Suns. this was their apex mountain, uh, this series as well. Uh, this was the, as close as they got to an NBA finals, the Suns, led by Steve Nash, pretty much all the pieces changed around him. Sons, Amari Stoudemire, those two. Uh, so I guess it's really the Nash Amari Suns. This was as close as they got and they got really damn close, almost sending game five into overtime, uh, I mean, I remember seeing the videos of Steve Nash, Steve Nash crying after the game six loss. I can't blame him. Uh, that was a, because I think he realized that was probably as close as he was ever going to get, or, or he knew how big that moment was. Uh, this was the penultimate game he played in a Suns Jersey, uh, or no, he played a couple more seasons, excuse me. Um, I, I was moving ahead. He played two more seasons after this one, but uh they never got as close as they did this season. Uh and if but if I have to give Apex Mountain to anyone, it's probably Alvin Gentry because the Steve Nash Suns did have other seasons where uh they were a better team and probably on paper came closer uh or were a better team and were closer in general. I think back to that Spurs series. Alvin Gentry, uh, I was convinced, was a terrific coach. And if you look at everything he's done since, not so much. Uh, Who won the game? I mean, obviously the Lakers won the game. If we're looking at outside of that, I I guess we're on our test. Uh, If you forget the previous 47 minutes and 58 seconds of the game, uh, then yeah, Ron Artest won the won the game. Um, you still probably do have to give it to him just because it was such a, like I said, such a memorable moment. I'm sure a lot of people have uh, posters of that kind of celebration. It's an iconic celebration. Everybody remembers the picture of of Artest in Kobe's arms. Uh, so Ron Artest probably won this game. Uh, I'm not really sure who else you could make an argument for maybe Steve Nash. He was terrific in this one. He finished with, uh, 29 points and 11 rebounds had nine points in the fourth quarter. Kobe had 30 and it. wasn't his greatest game, uh, 30 points on 27 shots, uh, outside of that second quarter run, he kind of struggled. Uh, although he finished an assist side of a, of a triple double. So maybe he didn't struggle all that much. Um, It was, it's a tough call. I I do think ultimately probably you give it to Ron Artest as who won the game uh, because, or or Lakers fans for for having this moment to look back on. But uh, a a fun game to rewatch. One that you don't you think of that moment, the, the layup, you don't really think of the game. So it's fun to kind of watch back this game without the stress of, uh, knowing it's a playoff game in the moment, uh, and being able to uh, watch with watch a little more objectively, uh, but without as much emotion attached to it. So, I uh, hope you guys enjoyed this. If you did, let us know. Uh, tweet at us. Leave a co- or leave a, uh, a review. Excuse me. Let us know if you want more of these. If you have ideas for games you want uh, to potentially do. Uh let us know. I'll try to bring a guest on here if we do another one of these this offseason. Not a ton to talk about in Lakerland. That's hence us doing this episode. Um I mean, we, we've discussed everything. Uh the LeBron James extension isn't here. The Lakers uh discussed a three-team trade for Russell Westbrook. All that has been covered though, so uh You guys will get plenty of news on that and analysis on that throughout the week. Hope you guys enjoyed this. Uh, Subscribe if you have not already. And we will see you again next week.